The first reading can be found uh, in the Bibles beside you on page 668. 668. Pleasures are meaningless. Reading from uh, Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit and trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that I my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. And this may be found on page 1090 of your church Bible. Yeah. <clears throat> Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, 
but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Let's just open this up. In 2015, Ofcom conducted a survey. They did some research of about 3,000 people. And they were looking into behaviour traits. Uh, and they concluded this. The average person in the UK sleeps for 8 hours and 21 minutes. That wasn't true for me last night. I'm sure it wasn't true for my wife either. Secondly, and, and I think this is probably more incredible, that the average UK person spends eight hours and 41 minutes using technology in a day. So for the 16 hours that we're awake for, over 50% of that time is spent on technology according to the UK average. Now, you may be the exception, but on average, we spend four hours a day consuming television. And the rest of that time is spent texting, typing, talking, gaming, and uh, listening to others on the phone. And 45 minutes in the day is dedicated to socialising. But get this, only 21 minutes of the day is actually spent relaxing. This morning we're thinking about fun and leisure and pleasure. So if we're asleep for eight hours, and eight hours is kind of technology time divided up by work 
and kind of pleasure, then that leaves us with eight hours to do the rest of our work, all the chores in the house, everything else that needs to be done, eating, family life, sport, recreation, whatever. No wonder we all feel pretty tired at the end of the day. It's busy, isn't it? It's busy. This, this, this morning, we're concluding our sermon series on the 24-7 disciple, and we're thinking about fun, leisure, and pleasure. And I've got three things that I want to say. First, that God created us for leisure and for his pleasure. Secondly, we became lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And thirdly, and practically, what does fun and leisure and pleasure look like for the Christian today? So that's where we're heading. Firstly, God created us for leisure and his pleasure. Mel's uncle Bryn has got the most meticulous lawn I've ever stepped foot on. His grass is perfect. It's a bit like a bowl's green. And I want you just to imagine for a moment that you've kicked your shoes and socks off. It's a nice sunny day. And you're standing uh, on a meticulous lawn, barefooted, treading on the softest, lushest grass your foot's ever been on. The ground underneath your foot's warm. It's a nice picture, isn't it, thinking that spring's coming. We've uh, enjoyed some sunshine over the last couple of days. And I want us this morning, if we can, just to try and catch a glimpse of what the Paradise Garden of Eden was like. Looking in on our first parents, watching them, doing what they were doing. And kind of as we're picturing the garden, our gaze is drawn to the distance of all the lush trees and garden plants. All kinds of trees and a river watering the garden down the middle. Eve's rustling about in the garden, kind of picking some fruit off the cherry tree. She's going to rustle up some kind of lush cherry pie for her and Adam to enjoy their, you know, after their Sunday lunch. Adam comes in after working the garden, kicks up his feet. They're kind of chilling out, relaxing, looking across the veranda, eating their cherry pie, listening to Louis Armstrong singing, what a wonderful world. It's an ah, paradise moment. That's the picture that we get from Eden. And so the first thing that we've got to say about fun and leisure and pleasure is that God created it. God created it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. He's the creator uh, of fun. And he created a wonderful world for you and I to live in. Psalm 115 uh, verse 3 says this, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. God does whatever pleases him. The creation in the opening chapter of the Bible describes, um, God describes the creation as good. And in verse um, 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis, we're told the creation is very good. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 4, we read everything God created is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. And the primary reason that the creation is good is because the creator himself is good. Amen? Amen, right? The creation reflects God's character. Now, whenever I go back to my mum's house on the Isle of Wight, and I'm going tomorrow, she always gets in an abundance of food. If I tell her I'm staying overnight, the fridge and freezer will be packed full of treats for me. Food, drinks, puddings, more than I could possibly eat in a day or an afternoon. 
Um, I, I, my mum has this way of kind of expressing her love to me. I think it's her love language through provision. That's why I'm such a big boy. Um, and um, I think my mum reflects God's good design uh, in the creation that he made because God too, he's given us abundantly more than we need or we ask or we can imagine. He goes above and beyond. Do you remember that memory verse we were thinking about a little while ago uh, from Psalm 19 verse 1? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. The creation is amazing. It's amazing. And the expression of God through it is just beautiful. The beauty and the glory and the provision and the wonder of our God. And artwork always reflects the artist, doesn't it? And it's the same with creation. The creation reflects God. And God's aesthetically aware. Um, he's, he's created a rich variety of things for us to enjoy. Different trees, wildlife, uh, a winding river, precious stones um, for us to enjoy. And the creation tells us that God has this appreciation of what he's made. Taste and texture. And the artist has got to be nodding their head among us. The artist, taste, texture, creation, beautiful. Uh, for the food lovers among us, delicious fruits for us to enjoy. Food groups, savoury, sweet, sour, spicy, stodgy. That's what I like. Um, yeah. God is a God of pleasure. And he does whatever he pleases. And God is the source of all pleasure. We must remember that. And it's important to say, therefore, that God created us not only to work, but also for fun, to enjoy God's good pleasure under his good rule. However, I think that the world today and the culture that we're in has this perception that when you become a Christian, actually, that's the end of all your fun. That life's going to be boring for the Christian. The ball and chain's on. We're kind of locked up with the killjoy of all killjoys for eternity, and it's going to be horrendous. The, the culture says that God is the killjoy, and fun is over. Sense of humour, that's gone. But that's a lie, isn't it? That's a lie. Don't be duped into believing the lie that the world is saying about God. We need to flip that upside down and actually say to our culture, look, if we're not in right relationship with God, then actually we're locked up. We're missing out on the relationship that we've been created to enjoy. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and life to the what? Life to the full. Jesus has come to give you life, and life to the full. Abundance. God's created you for leisure and for his pleasure. We're made by a loving creator, and we're called to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But how are we to glorify God? Well, the Bible makes that really clear for us. We do so through relationships. We're created in the image of God. We're that special, actually. You're that special. You've been made in your creator's image for different sorts of relationships. Now, I'm going to put my hands up here. As you've probably noticed, I'm way off what those Bible verses were saying. I've ditched those, and we're going to look at something else utterly uh, this morning. So would you turn with me to page four in your Bibles, Genesis uh, chapter one, page four. They are great readings, and perhaps over your roast lamb lunch, you can look at those together again. But we're going to look at Genesis one this morning. Genesis one, verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures, sorry, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you... God's given us an abundance. Does this sound like a God who wants to spoil our fun? No way. He's called us to be fruitful, increase in number, have sex and multiply, and rule over the creation. It's a massive provision from God. And I just want to talk about this image of God just for a minute or two as we look at these verses. Unlike all of the other creatures that have been made by God, you and I have the capacity, vertically speaking, to have a relationship with the God who made everything. And that's what makes us uniquely human. It's not the fact that we've got language that makes us human, nor the ability to use tools or our intellect, be self-aware, or use our reasoning skills. Actually, we've been set apart, unlike all the other creatures on the planet, because we've been created for a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we can enjoy that intimate relationship, and that's particular to humans. It's human territory. So as we worship, do you know what? You're joining with the dance of God that's been going on for all eternity, actually, played out from all eternity. We join in a dance with the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the three persons of the one God. We're brought into their adoring relationship of each other. Now, maybe you've got questions about the Trinity. Feel free to speak to a member of the ministry team further on that. Not got time to talk about that now, but do come and speak to us. Secondly, being made in God's image means that we're created for relationships horizontally with each other, right? Just as the Father's in relationship with the Son and the Spirit, and they are in relationship with Him and with each other. So we reflect God's image by being in relationship to one another. Just as the persons of the Trinity adore and love each other, so we too love one another. We're made for each other, actually. It's a great plan of God. But in the creation narrative, there's one thing that's not good. Remember that? It's not good for man to be alone. Chapter 2, verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone. So we're created for community with each other. And it's awesome, isn't it? You guys are awesome. It's great to hang out with you. You put a smile on my face, uh, actually, as I work with you. It's brilliant. This community is an awesome place to be and to be in. Together, we're the image of God. We're the image of God. We're made for relationship with each other. And that's a massive way of reflecting uh, God's image and God's glory. Thirdly, we're image bearers downwardly. That is, we're to subdue and to rule the creation under God. Verse 28 of chapter 1, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the creation. That's what it means to be an image bearer of God, to rule under God's good authority. We're to rule creation under him and to care for it and to preserve it and to protect the ground. Chapter 2, verse 15. That means 
that we're also to care and protect ourselves too. But what from? Well, for the purpose of this morning, from overwork, actually, we're to care and protect ourselves from overwork. We're to be good stewards of all God gifts, including our leisure time. We're to care for our leisure time. So the first thing, God's created us for leisure and his pleasure. But maybe you're sat here and thinking, well, that just sounds way too idealistic. That's certainly not my experience. You might be saying, come on, don't you live in the real world? Well, secondly, we became lovers of pleasure. That's the problem. Instead of lovers of our creator. There was another creature with Adam and Eve in the garden, wasn't there? Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. We read, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. There's a sly creature in the garden with them. And what's the first thing that this creature does when he rocks up on the scene? The first thing he does, everything's going really well. They're enjoying themselves, having a whale of a time with their cherry pies uh, and, and uh, whatever else they're doing. It's, it's, it's a garden of abundance. But the serpent is there to wreck it and to cause havoc. And actually, he's the killjoy in the garden, not God. It's crucial that we get that this morning. God has given his people a great freedom in the garden. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. There's this great liberty. You can eat fruit from any tree in the whole of this garden. But there's a single prohibition. Verse 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. A great liberty, any tree, but just not one. Don't eat the fruit from one tree. And so what does the serpent do? Verse 1, did God really say? Did God really say that? The, The mode of attack here by the serpent is the word of God. Do we see that? Satan attacks the word of God. He distorts it. He twists it. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, that's not what God said. God said, you can eat from any tree. We've got great liberty uh, in the garden. We just can't eat from the one. So Eve, what are you going to do? Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. She's kind of being duped here, isn't she? She's starting to believe the serpent. And then the serpent says in verse 4, you will not surely die. The serpent denies the word of God. That's his mode of attack. He distorts it, twists it, then denies God's words and God's coming judgment. And the results are disastrous. Look at verse 5. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here's the point. The results are disastrous. Adam and Eve bring about a sin revolution. The man and the woman usurp God's authority. He's the one on the throne. 
up to this moment, all they've done is listen to God and his good word. Now they've listened to the snake. And the true killjoy is out to spoil and ruin. And they listen to his lie, and the lie's this. God's withholding a good pleasure from you. It's a good pleasure, and God's holding this back from you. Verse 5 and 6. Check out the fruit. It's good. It's pleasing. It's desirable for gaining wisdom. So they reject God's good word. In a way, they kind of show God to the door, and they slam the door in God's face. And they say, actually, I want to be on the throne, and not you. They sit on the throne themselves. They set themselves up as rival rulers to God. Verse 5, you can be like God. That's the lie. You can be your own God, knowing and deciding for yourself good and evil. You can have as much pleasure as you like. And as the camera continues rolling on this story, it's a sad scene in the garden, isn't it? Look down at verse 8. It says this, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. The pursuit of pleasure leaves Adam and Eve hiding in the garden among the trees. They're in fear. They're scared. They're scared of God. And do you know what? What our first parents do, Adam and Eve, actually, you and I do that repeatedly. You and I do that. That is, we live our lives making up our own rules, deciding for ourselves what's right and wrong for us, just like they did. And Satan's tactics are exactly the same today, distorting and twisting and perverting the word of God and denying God's word. So, did God really say the only place for sex is within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman? Did God really say that Jesus is the only way to be in relationship to God? That's under attack, isn't it? Massively. Did God really say that's what the serpent goes after? We were thinking about sin on Wednesday at Christianity Explored. Um, and uh, Rico Tice, the guy who um, uh, was speaking on the video, said this, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the Bible presents sin in many, many different ways. But here in Eden, we see Adam and Eve striving for independence from God. They wanted the pleasure of the creation, but without the creator, they'd rejected their creator. Now, perhaps you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. It's great to have you with us and you're inquiring about the Christian faith. Aware, actually, that your heart's pretty cold to Jesus. Uh, You want to keep him at an arm's length at best and conscious that you don't really have much of a relationship. Or perhaps you're going through here and kind of life is not really much fun for you. You're not really taking much pleasure and satisfaction in life. You haven't got very much to smile about. And as the years go by, you become more and more aware that you're not the person that you want to be, let alone the person that God wants you to be. Well, it's great to have you with us. Do you know, God wants us to be in right relationship with him today. That's what he wants for you and I, an intimate relationship, the relationship that we were created for. 
But perhaps you would call yourself a Christian, but at the moment you just feel like the anchor's come up and spiritually you've just drifted away from Jesus. Your heart's just grown a little bit cold towards him. Perhaps there's a struggle that you're experiencing in life and you just you can't get past it. You feel powerless actually to change. Well, let this morning be a reminder to you of who God is. He's your creator. He wants what's best for you. And he's proved that because he sent his son into the world to do battle with the killjoy, to do battle with the serpent in Eden. And where Adam fell at the tree, Jesus conquered at the tree, right? Where the saviour conquered at the tree, he helps us. Where Adam failed his bride and didn't step in for her, the Lord Jesus Christ does so perfectly. He gives his life, actually, so that we can have life. Suffering on the cross, dying in our place, for our sin. That's the God that you and I worship. The God who made us has made the first move to come and rescue us, just like he did in Eden. He's the one who comes to Adam and Eve when they're hiding. He calls them out uh, from where they are. And he's come to give us life. And he's come to give us life to the full. And it comes to you for free. But it didn't come cheap. It cost Jesus absolutely everything he had. The Lord Jesus left heaven. He was battered and beaten and bloody and put on a cross and then buried in a tomb. And then three days later, he came back to life. He did that to demonstrate to us, his image bearers, that he cares for us, that he wants to rescue us, that he's come to set us free from that which is enslaving us, actually. And he's come to set us free from an enemy who's a killjoy and who's out to kill you and drag you to hell. The Apostle Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. What's the opposite of not being ashamed? It's boasting, isn't it? We're to boast in God. We're to boast in our Saviour. We're to boast in the Lord Jesus. And as we do that, actually we'll be lifted out. Uh, We'll recognise who he is and what he's done. So no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it for, nothing's too bad that can't be forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you back in right relationship. And the Bible calls us to repent and to believe, to put our trust in Jesus and to allow him to change us through his word and by his spirit. So thirdly and kind of briefly, practically, what does fun and leisure and pleasure look like for the Christian? Well, actually, God delights in his people. We should be happy people. We should be happy people in the world that God's made. We should have a big smile on our face because God is good all the time. All the time, God's good. We've got a wonderful world to enjoy. And I think Christians are notoriously kind of struggle with this. We've got a low view of pleasure, haven't we? So Christians in the past have banned things like dancing and theatre and kind of cinemas. And in doing so, what's, what's that saying to the world? Well, we're rejecting good gifts that God's given uh, to his world for us to enjoy. We need to be careful. We don't wind up like the Pharisees, being stricter than God himself. Now, what this may look like for each of us It's going to be quite individualistic, how our kind of attitude towards pleasure and leisure and fun. 
I don't want to be too prescriptive in what we need to do, but the Bible calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That means that you and I don't need to work for our salvation. Jesus has done that. But we're to work hard and to be wise with the good gifts that God's given us. And he's given us leisure and fun and pleasure as a good gift for us to enjoy. Maybe some of you are kind of say, thinking, well, I struggle with leisure. I find that a bit of a waste of time, actually. I find it hard to switch off from work mode. Um, perhaps you're the kind of person who gets frustrated when you look at others, uh, kind of people wasting their time. People aren't as driven as you are. Well, this might be a particular challenge for you then. Here's the challenge. God's created you not just for work, but to enjoy the creation, enjoy his world uh, under him and with him. Why don't you take the time this week to find something that you can do um, just for the sake of fun, just for the sake of pleasure. Take this to heart, actually. Take yourself off somewhere and in, in a moment of pleasure, thank God for it. Delight in that moment, whether it's an activity or whether it's inactivity. Thank God uh, for it. Thank God for, for the blessing of leisure time and enjoy it. And I think that also means that we need to stop talking about leisure as a chance to recharge the batteries, actually, because that means that work is the primary thing that we're going for. If we just need to recharge our batteries, that elevates work. We need to enjoy all God's gifts, uh, including, including leisure and pleasure, and we're to do that with thankfulness. Well, let's pray.